I am your host, Jonathan Stewart, and welcome to the Personal Power Project. Welcome to episode two. I'm glad you guys are here to join me. Episode one was off to a great start, and here we are right back at you with another episode. Today, I had been doing some thinking about the format of the podcast, um, just as I was previously in episode one, sort of rambling some ideas out there and trying to get my thoughts around uh, what I would like to do. So I thought of this idea. I thought of reading the books that I enjoy reading and coming up with quotes from the books that I'm reading and elucidating them here for you to both, you know, sort of ponder, understand, and hear my exposition on them. Now, this is not going to revolve around uh, a certain topic each time, although dependent upon the book, there may be some um, overarching themes that uh, you can start to associate them with. Um, Today, I would like to start with uh, one of my favorite authors, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Emerson was a writer in the early 19th century, and I believe in 1833, he wrote his essay uh, called Nature. In that essay, Ralph Waldo Emerson picked apart what he saw in America as foundational principles for life, and he came up with this transcendental philosophy that man, nature, God are all one, if that, um, if you can wrap your head around that idea. But anyway, I don't want to bore you with a philosophical discussion on it, but I want to get into the actual topics and the quote in particular and what he said. So this quote comes from his essay, because, um, well, one of his addresses, rather. You see, Emerson, backtrack a little, Emerson, um, during the course of his life, he gave lectures throughout all of North America and as far as California. I think during this time in the 19th century, he gave upwards of 1,500 lectures. Now, that's a feat in and of itself, and if we were just to discuss how he actually made that trip into different states, um, we could probably, uh, you know, have some anthropologists and uh, transportation experts on how that was actually even possible. I think in some years he was even, he even gave, you know, 150 lectures. In fact, I believe there's newspaper uh, articles regarding the speeches that he gave and the response of the people, and they didn't understand what he was saying. So perhaps you will understand what he's saying, but in this particular address... This address comes uh, with the a title called The American Scholar. What Emerson uh, meant by The American Scholar was this idea that in America at that point, we had been still looking towards other countries for inspiration. We just can't, it's, this is on the backdrop of the War of 1812. And Emerson thought that, and purported, and writ and uh, wrote about how he believed man can create his own relationship to the universe. Okay? Just let that form the background. Everyone can create their own unique relationship to the world that they encompass. And man, not necessarily man or woman, 
just mankind in general uh, has, has this opportunity. So in the course of this American scholar, he's discussing how important the American scholar is. And it's not just a scholar who's someone who enjoys books, uh, talking with others, but the person who really embodies that spirit, that, that zeitgeist, that feeling, that emotion of seeing all but seeing one and seeing one but seeing all. Uh, in other words, not just picking apart the uniqueness and blades of grass that you would uh, come upon in the, the course of walking across your lawn, but seeing the beauty that is there within the whole picture of that, uh, of that lawn and seeing it all as um, combining together as if you were going to, you know, interlock your hands into one another and they form, you know, one hand, so to speak. So that's uh, enough of me expounding about Emerson. And I'll get into the quote. So this quote comes near the end of his uh, lecture on the American scholar. And here he's talking about what the lesson should be um, for the American scholar. If there's one thing that the American scholar should embody, it is this. So here's the quote. If there be one lesson more than another which should pierce his ear... It is, the world is nothing, the man is all. In yourself is the law of all nature, and you know not yet how a globule of sap ascends. In yourself slumbers the whole of reason. It is for you to know all, it is for you to dare all. And again, I'll repeat it again. If there be one lesson more than another, which should pierce his ear, it is, the world is nothing, the man is all. In yourself is the law of all nature, and you know not yet how a globule of sap ascends. In yourself slumbers the whole of reason. It is for you to know all. It is for you to dare all. Wow. That's some, uh, some heavy, heavy words. Um, and if you don't get it, it's perfectly okay. I'll, I'll, you know, come back to that quote. So yesterday after I went to sleep, I, um, or rather as I was preparing myself to go to sleep, I had such an overwhelming feeling of joy after doing the podcast. I had been thinking about doing it, like I said, for quite some time. And I'm really glad that I did. And I worked out this morning, I got my day started, and I started to read and come up with ideas for what's to come of the podcast, and as I was reading The American Scholar, I thought I should share that exact quote, you know, man is all, the world is nothing, right? So when you, when you hear that, that, those words, it's sort of, um, you might think it's like pessimistic, but it's not at all. If anything, it's progressive, uh, progressive in the sense that it's showing you that, you know, you are in power. You are the one who's going to uh, decide your own fate, so to speak. Um, and in the course of, you know, picking this particular um, quote, I was talking with a friend today and we had been discussing, you know, 
how in life there are numerous opportunities for each one of us to choose something that we enjoy doing, uh, you know, choosing a high school, choosing a college, um, choosing a job. And we sort of came upon a mutual agreement that the reality and the idea are almost always diabolical or diametrically opposed to one another. And it got me thinking um, about the times that um, I had uh, taken a scholarship to a university, St. John's University, back when I was in high school. And I had applied to so many different colleges. I wanted to really go to uh, BU, and BU didn't give me any money whatsoever. And I was uh, really disappointed. So I ended up going to St. John's. I enjoyed my time there, but there, in the back of my mind, I had this uneasy feeling that what I was doing there didn't really amount to anything, you know. Um, even though I, I, grad, I, was, I was a 4.0 student at St. John's, I enjoyed my time there. But because I had this standard upon which I set myself up for um, it back in high school, I thought that it was beneath me in a way. And it sort of shaped my entire outlook on that college experience that first year. That first year... Uh, my, like, uh, you know, if you if you know me personally, you know that I'm a creature of habit. But that first year, I really didn't do much other than, you know, play soccer, get up in the morning, eat breakfast, um, study. I was off on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays for the most part uh, that first year. And I would go back home and, you know, every weekend to see my family because I, I didn't really feel at home there. And... That first semester, I got a 4.0. I said, screw it. I want to try to get into NYU. So I applied to NYU in the spring. And, you know, when you're applying, they, they're they taking, you know, your first semester grades. And I didn't think I would get in for some reason or like I was just unsure, you know. I, I thought... Man, if I got into NYU, now I could like be proud of going to NYU and now I can show people um, that I'm worth it, that I'm worthy. And, you know, months go by, I'm waiting to hear back. And then uh, I think I was home one weekend and the mail came and it was a thick package from NYU. And boy, did I jump up for joy. I swear to God. I remember the day. Like it was yesterday, I think I was in my mom's car and I opened it up and I was super excited and they even gave me some scholarship money to go there. And I I literally couldn't contain myself. That whole rest of the semester at St. John's went by like a breeze, graduated with for my first year with a 4.0, entered into NYU, moved into Soho. I was living on Lafayette between Frank and White Street, if I'm not mistaken, in the Lafayette building and you know driving into the city I had visited the city so much I enjoyed the city even um, you know I should backtrack just slightly 
I actually attended NYU as a college, uh, sorry, as a high school student back during uh, my high school days. I, during the summer, in order to, uh, you know, stand out and make my, my, my CV and my uh, resume really nice um, and all the extracurricular activities that we need to do now to prove our worth for uh, the college admissions officers, I applied to NYU as a high school student uh, to do a pre-college program. I got in, they gave me a scholarship, I took courses at NYU and I would go back and forth to NYU uh, about three days a week through the, by the train. And uh, that was during the summer, so I was playing soccer at my high school, and sometimes I would have to coordinate my classes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I was already familiar with NYU, and now that I actually got into there um, for college, it was, you know, really mind-blowing. A uh, little side note about that, I uh, on my intro or uh, my, what do they call that? Day where you're entering into uh, college uh, uh, orientation. On my orientation day, I actually met um, Magic Johnson. So I I was in one of the buildings at uh, NYU. I don't remember which building to be honest. And I saw this really really tall guy sitting down, and I'm like, why are there like some people standing around him? And then I noticed he had a bald head, and I'm looking at him. I'm like, that guy is huge. Then I realized it was Magic Johnson from the Lakers. So I was like, hey, Magic. And he's like, how you doing? <laughs> and then uh, I was like, can I get a picture? I said to one of his staff, and they're like, he's not taking any pictures right now. He's a little upset because uh, he's dropping off his son. So I was like, that's really cool. Anyway, so I get into uh, NYU, and the first couple weeks, I really enjoyed it, right? Like, I think I was probably posting all about it on my Facebook. Um and then, you know, going to class, meeting other students, it really started to wear on me that this wasn't actually a place that I enjoyed. Um, you know, previous until this point, I used to look at the city as like a deluge of a place, you know, not a place that um, I enjoy hanging out in. I thought of it more as like a place that when you visit, it's enjoyable, right? Like it's a place that you want to go to um, and, you know, see the tree, uh, you know, go see a play or what have you. And the fact that I was in the city now and, you know, going to class, it's sort of lost its, uh, its luster in a way. And, you know, the fact that I, um, at, at, at NYU, the campus was so spread out, it was kind of, again, another tragedy because, you, I mean, you could be in the middle of uh, anywhere in the city and there's a building that's an NYU building and you have to go in there and when you come out, there's like no sense of community. And I didn't realize how important that was to me. Um, and... It didn't occur to me until that first semester concluded. You know, I was, again, I was going home every weekend from NYU, and I really started to feel homesick in a way that I didn't enjoy it there any longer. A lot of, I didn't really find a core group of friends. I mean, there were some friends that uh, I made. There were 
some very, very wealthy folk um, who I befriended. And these were people who were uh, dealing drugs on the side. And I was like, this is kind of strange, right? Like, like, what is the point of going to college, right? Um, the point of going to college is to get some semblance of education. And, you know, it, it used to be when I was in high school, when you graduate high school, you're going to graduate and you're going to go out into the real world. And then we go back into college and it's like, okay, so what are we, where, what world are we going into when we graduate college? You're going to grow into the real, real world. And then you go into a job and you're learning on the job training and you're going to go out into the real, real, real world. It's like, I think over the course of this entire, you know, college experience, um, I really didn't know what I wanted to go into. And I was sort of doing things out of habit and sort of like, you know, satisfying my egotistical you know, side of myself to uh, go to a college like NYU just to prove that I could go. And then when I got there, I was like, I was so dissatisfied. And I think that rings true for a lot of things uh, in life. And you can just think about a time that you really wanted something and you get it and you're using it. And then you're like, ah, it's sort of lost its luster. Um, I did that a lot in my life, and college was just one of them. So I'll finish that story. So that first semester that I was there, you know, uh, met a lot of people, made some friends, but the campus being so open wide was just too much for me. I didn't enjoy it. The city was bleak, and I, I don't know why people like the city, to be honest. I mean, yes, there's plenty of things to do. I mean... Every other week, you know, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, I had friends who were doing something uptown, downtown, over here, and I really just didn't want to do any of it. Um, one, it definitely did cost money to do certain things. Uh, it's not like I was, uh, I had a lack of money, but I didn't really want to spend <laughs> my resources on things that I didn't really find interesting. I thought when I went to NYU that I would find, you know, a population of students that thought like I did and that sort of wanted more out of college than drinking, smoking, drugs, and partying. I mean, you can, uh, you can go back into my history books um, and you'll see that I'm probably the uh, opposite of all of that even throughout my high school um, uh, years I'm not someone who enjoys partying I'm not someone who drinks I'm not someone who uh, does drugs or does anything like that because I'm always looking at it from the perspective of well how is this going to affect me and you know my performance if I was playing a sport or just cognitively and things of that nature so I I didn't know where to turn, and uh, that first semester, again, I actually wanted to go back to St. John's. So I went back to St. John's, I talked with some people if I could, uh, you know, re, uh, re-attain, I guess, um, the scholarship that I had won there uh, during my high school uh, 
my senior year in high school to see if they can give me that scholarship back and they wouldn't. So I ended up transferring to Stony Brook and my time at Stony Brook was fantastic. So what does that tell me about this whole experience? It tells me that uh, an age-old adage that uh, a professor of mine said was that, you know, you have to get your own education. No matter what, no matter what school you went to, it, it took me, you know, a year and a half, almost two years to realize that your education is a result of what you are doing in that school. Regardless if you graduated from a no-name college in the middle of Topeka, um, or you were in Birmingham, Alabama, and you graduated from a, a local community college, there is not going to be someone that you can rely upon other than yourself for the education that you want to get. No matter what, it's always going to be the result of you. You know, I thought by going to you know, from, from St. John's to NYU, that there was going to be a different student population. There clearly was. I'm not going to um, say that the students at St. John's or the students at NYU were, you know, their IQs were high or anything like that. There just was a difference. Um, students at uh, St. John's, especially first year, I didn't realize that first year is usually the are, are those core classes and then people start to separate and um, in the higher level classes you'll start to really assimilate maybe that was the case and uh, I should have given it more time but you know there's no going back and um, if it weren't for uh, Stony Brook I wouldn't wouldn't have met my wife but that'll be a uh, later uh, podcast episode so <clears throat> You have to get your own education. You have to pick and choose what it is that you want to go after. For myself, when I was younger, it was about satisfying that need for um, to feel worthy. And you know, I know people who who go their whole lives um, trying to prove something, trying to prove something to their parents, trying to prove something to themselves, trying to prove something to their significant others, and. I don't see the the um, the value in it. You know, proving something to yourself is is one thing. Um, proving something for the sake of you know your ego and what you think may work. It's it it's all a teaching lesson, no matter what. It's going to be able to give you some insight into how you can make better decisions in the future. And I think as a result of that, it did so. That first semester at um, Stony Brook, I had, tr I had transferred during the fall semester. So in the interim, I wanted to just get right into the uh, school, and I took a course, a philosophy course, with a professor during the winter uh, months. And it was, uh, I think we met four days a week, Monday to Thursday, for three to four hours. So... The winter classes are usually like a four-week block, and you'll literally meet, I guess, you know, 16 times as if you were throughout the semester, or maybe it was longer, I'm not sure. But the, that class, that professor, those students, man, if I could go back to that class, 
I would. It was a great, great class. It was an ancient philosophy class taught by a professor named Clyde Miller at Stony Brook University. It was fantastic. That guy is a true educator. What do I mean by that is he is someone that inspires me and inspires the thought process of this podcast, which is he gave you the sort of outline of the things that were important in certain dialogues that we'd go over and certain readings that we'd go over. And he'd make you do the work to really understand it and provide your own foundation for what it means to you and how you would argue for or against something. So how did he accomplish this? He gave us uh, quizzes every single day. Every single class we had a quiz. And it was an open book quiz. And, you know, I, oh, I, I think he has it uh, down to a science um, with why that open book. I also had another course back in college, which was open book. It was a, a um, statistics class. And the reason why, when you're testing open book, right, if you did the reading, if you did the homework, the, the book should almost not even provide you with any value other than verifying what you know. And if you didn't do the reading and you didn't do the homework, then the book is probably going to confuse you more. And this is the thing that this professor knew better than anyone else at the university was the fact that if you want to help students to learn, they need constant reinforcement upon you know, the things that they've learned. And that's something that I want to do in the podcast too. I want each episode to give you the tools to think about uh, a certain topic in your life. And now that I'm focusing on this uh, Emerson um, person, uh, let's say, or the philosophy of Ralph Waldo Emerson, it just gives you an idea of what I'm thinking about Uh, the thought processes that are going through my mind and the fact that they're not unique. Um, They may feel unique to me, but, you know, they're the same ones that you go through as well. Um, Yeah, so, again, I'll read that quote one more time and perhaps that's uh, all she wrote for today unless another thought comes to my mind. But... I do want to highlight that uh, part again regarding, you know, the idea versus the reality. And it's something that you should really take time to sit with yourself and understand what it is that you are going after in life and try to figure out whether or not it's really you talking or it's someone else you know that's why this quote really jumped out at me you know the world is nothing the man is all in yourself is the law of nature and you know not yet how a globule of sap ascends right the world is nothing it doesn't necessarily mean that the world is nothing it just means the world is no thing Like, it's nothing to you. Nothing not in the sense of, again, emptiness, but it's not important. The worldly, you know, 
um, possessions. It's almost like a Buddhist uh, breakdown of that, right? Like the world is really nothing. The man is all, meaning this person, you are all, like you're the beginning and the end, as we said. And you, even though you don't know, you know, how a globule of sap ascends, you know, we're talking pine trees or things of that nature. It's, it's okay because all of the laws of nature and are within you. And I think that's um, very relevant to um, a lot of things in life. We, we tend to forget that we are part and parcel, uh, a part of nature. We're in the realm of things we may be confused, we may be uh, downtrodden, etc. But the minute that you start going against your natural tendencies is when all of the shit starts to uh, percolate. You know, don't get enough sleep, well, you're going to feel tired. You know, don't sweat, uh, well, you're going to feel tired. Um, don't eat right, you're going to feel like garbage. Um, you know, don't have good relationships, uh, you're going to feel like garbage. So what what are we to do in uh, modern society where, in fact, the world is, in fact, it's not nothing. The world is all and man is uh, is nothing. I think we should uh, make those uh, sentences uh, on the converse, right? Let's. How does this sound? The world is all, the man is nothing. That sounds like um, positive, right? Because you, you would think that the world being all means that the world is at your fingertips, you know? It, the world is at your fingertips, but the world is all means that everything is, again, outside of yourself. That the happiness that you want to go after is going to be that next purchase, that next thing. All of our society is built around this idea of a consumerist culture that... We tend to value things over people and we tend to value things over ourselves even, right? I mean, look at the plastic surgery industry, look at um, the movie industry, look at um, the fitness, the health industry. All of them are valuing things that are outside of yourself that are actually saying that nature is not within you, but nature is outside of you, right? We have, you know, body images that we've never seen before that are, you know, ideal or idealized, I should say. Um, you know, like, uh, I f forget if it's like, you know, like the, the Coke bottle shape of a woman that's like most ideal. And it, there was a uh, video not long ago, maybe like five, ten years ago, I'm not sure when, but that showed like the concept of beauty over the years. And the concept of beauty is, has just changed so drastically. And as I said in the uh, intro, I'm, of, uh, the, I'm, I'm not a relativist in any sense of the word, meaning I think that there are relative beauties or relative truths or there are relative goods, meaning what's good for one person might not be good for another. I totally uh, disregard that idea. What is good for one is good for all. What is truth for one is truth for all. And what is beautiful for one is beautiful for all. And those definitions have not changed and do not change. Those beauties that you see uh, changing over the years is not beauty. It's just a 
if I were to say it like this, it would be like there's capital B beauty and then there's lowercase b beauty. Um, I almost said booty. Um, <laughs> so the lowercase beauty um, would be the actual uh, instances of beauty. So yes, all of those images are of a certain type of beauty, but they're not beauty in that uh, it's not the form of beauty or the true meaning of beauty, if we were to say that. And like I said, if we go back to that quote and we say the world is all and man is nothing, it's, it's also defeating you, right? And that's not the, what life is about. Life is about um, bringing up the standard of man. Uh, again, when I use those terms, just hear woman too if, uh, if you uh, so desire. It's just this is uh, how the uh, author chose to write, and um, that's it. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> So, you know, if we said, like I said, the, that w the world is all and man is nothing, like it just goes right against uh, weakening your characteristics and weakening your uh, quote unquote power, right? And weakening your decision. Everything in life, like I said again, is trying to aim for your attention, weaken your decision-making to make you feel like you need something, um, to make you feel like life would be much better if this were here. Um, there was a, uh, a speech by a guy named Ram Das. If you look up Ram Das, you can uh, find out who he is. Ram Das was, to put it simply, was uh, one of the early... Um, proponents of LSD with, I believe, Timothy Leary out of Harvard. And Ram Das went to India and met a guru, and then he went on his uh, lecture tours. Ram Das was giving a lecture tour, I mean, I think it was in the 70s, and they're recorded, and you could find them online somewhere. Anyway, so this lecture was um, talking about you know, how we get in touch with nature nowadays, right? Like how we get in touch with ourselves. And it's, it's absolutely mind-boggling that this is how we get in touch with ourselves, right? Think about this. So he's talking and he's uh, talking to the crowd. And he says, you know, you, you see an ad for a car and it goes zero to 60 and it's so fast. And you think, you know, Ah, like, wouldn't it be nice? Then you see the car and, you know, you it's a bubble bath that you see. And then you think, ah, you know, wouldn't it be nice? So now you got the car, the bubble bath, and then you see a bubble bath with, um, you know, the woman you most idealize or the man you most idealize. And you think, ah, wouldn't it be nice? So you got the car, you got the bubble bath, you got the man you most idealize. And then you think, you know, oh, wouldn't it be nice if that were in like this beautiful house? And you're like, ah, the car, the bubble bath, the man or woman you idealize in the nice house. 
And then you think of going to sleep on a nice bed. So it's like there are numerous amounts of things that you're being that that are adding onto your experience to get you in touch with yourself. Now, how how do you expect to get in touch with yourself if you have all of these things that are like deafening you, right? In other words, they're there are all of these purchases or things you're willing to sacrifice and things you're willing to sort of wear onto yourself, like as if you were putting on jackets or pants or shoes, that would somehow make you feel more at home. Isn't that like a crazy idea that all of these things have to be part of us in order for us to feel at ease? Ask yourself, you know, the question like, where do all these things fit within my life, you know? Um, It's even inspired, um, I forget her name, but the woman who does the house cleanings for people who are like hoarders or just want to uh, clean up their homes. I think it was like Marie Kondo, I think it was maybe. And she, she, uh, it's a very like Zen Buddhist thing, right? She will ask clients and people, you know, does this bring joy into your life? Yes or no? And if no, you, you thank it and then you get rid of it. So like ask yourself like all those things that are in your life. And this isn't a judgment. So don't get your panties up in a bunch. Like if you have 10,000 different things, like you could be 10,000 times happier than the next person. But who am I to judge? Just ask yourself like the questions like, do those things like encourage the person that you desire or are they taking away from the person that you desire to be? Or is it, um, or, or ask yourself, you know, are these things that I'm chasing after like the true things or are they things that I think will bring me to somewhere, you know, like it's something that I would ask clients a lot when uh, I ran my business for fitness. It's like, why do you actually want to, you know, get fit? Granted, I didn't have, you know, 10,000 clients. I was, um, you know, sectioning myself off to like a very select group of people who were growers, wanted to engage in fitness, wanted to feel better. And the questions and well, rather the, uh, the answers that clients would give me a lot of time is like, I want to get in shape. Like I want to get, I want to get fit. Like I want to get healthy. And it's like, well, what, what does any of that shit mean? Like you can tell someone I want to get healthy. I want to get in shape. I want to get fit. But what are you doing today? That is actually, you know, are our actual steps that we can see you actually mean what you say and say what you mean. And also, what does it mean to be healthy? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what it means to be healthy. I have ideas about what health means to me. Um, but it's, it's the same thing. Like, what does it mean to, you know, have the idea of something and have the reality? Like, what does the idea of health look like, look like to you? And what does the reality of it look like to you? Because a lot of the time we're chasing after that idea of it without actually knowing a reality of it, right? Like 
it's great to say, um, you know, chasing after health and I want to be healthy. And, you know, you buy all of these supplements and stuff and you're like, I'm being healthy. But it's like, maybe you're more unhealthy uh, because now you're stressed about how many goddamn pills you have to take. And uh, going out to dinner is so frustrating now because you don't know what to eat and you don't know how much water to drink or what have you. Um, so, you know, what do these words mean? And defining them is hugely uh, important to figuring out um, the course of your life and the steps that you need to take. And again, it goes back to that quote, right? If there be one lesson more than another, which should pierce his ear, the American scholar, that is, it is this. The world is nothing, the man is all. In yourself is the law of all nature, and you know not yet how a globule of sap ascends in yourself. Uh, in yourself slumbers the whole of reason. It is for you to know all. It is for you to dare all. So, again, you know not yet how a globule of sap ascends, but in yourself slumbers the whole of reason. Slumbering the whole of reason, what does that mean? It means that you have to awaken reason out of its slumber, so to speak, in yourself. You have to dig it out um, because that is the you know, uh, essence of what is going to allow you to ascend the world and you know, ascend yourself in a way. A lot of the time, like I said, um, when we're engaged with the world, it's, it's all, um, about not ascending yourself. It's about, you know, descending yourself. It's about putting things above yourself. It's about putting people above yourself. It's about putting your spouse above yourself. Um, it's about putting, you know, jobs above yourself it's about putting money above yourself putting work putting all these ideas above yourself and to me my wife thinks I'm selfish but I don't put anybody above myself that sounds very um, very wrong to say but I don't I don't put anything above myself nothing nothing in this world is above me and Again, it, it sounds uh, also sort of ostentatious in a way, but it's not ostentatious. ostentatious. It's knowing the reality of who I am that nothing comes before me. You know, I have to take care of myself before I can take care of anybody else. Um, God helps those who help themselves, right? I never considered myself... Um, someone who is selfish until I met my wife who made me realize that it's not, it's not a, a negative selfish. Like, you know, I want to, um, only do what I want to do, but it's that I want to put myself in the best shoes possible, so to speak, that I can give my all to all the things that I am interested in. And for a while, in my early years, I don't know what it was, but I did not put myself first at all. Like, you can hear my story, right, in the beginning. Um, I put ideas before myself because I was more attracted to the ideas than I was to myself. 
And again, I didn't realize like how important it is to put myself first. If I would have put myself first, I would have just stayed at St. John's University. I would have stayed there for the four years and graduated. I probably would have graduated in three years, come to think of it, because I was on a, I was on a roll like peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> but if I was, you know, putting myself first, I, uh, I, I think, I guess I put myself first when I went to Stony Brook. I mean, when I went to Stony Brook, um, I really saw, sort of felt like I was going backwards in life. Kind of stupid to even think. I know just saying that now makes me feel like kind of uneasy. Like I felt like I was going backwards. But it's because Stony Brook, um, that college at the time, was seen as like, you know, a uh, fallback school. And like, think about the language we use. The language that we're using comes to shape how we feel about these topics too. Like, oh, you know, when you're in high school and you're applying to colleges, it's like, always apply to some quote-unquote reach schools and then apply to some safety schools. And it's like, man, you're already putting like the thoughts out there that, you know, if I get it, if I get my reach school, like I'm going, but it's, but who knows, like, you might not know if it's the right move. And maybe you're choosing those reach schools because you like the idea of those reach schools. And maybe you're choosing the safety schools because, I don't know, like, you want to feel secure that, you know, you at least got in somewhere. That first year at St. John's, I remember coming back one weekend and telling my mom um, that I wanted to drop out of college. And it, it wasn't, I, I thought that college at that time was just so meaningless. Um, I thought it was just a waste of time. Like, I had been reading so much. Uh, like I said, my first episode, I'm very much so a reader. And I've been doing so much reading. And I'm like, is is college even worth it? You know, the the brightest thinkers in the world are people who didn't go to college, I told her. Uh, as you know, I didn't grad. I mean, I didn't uh, drop out, but I really would have um, if it weren't for just, I don't know. I don't know what kept me in. Maybe just this idea that I need a degree, you know. I need to have a bachelor's degree. And, but even then, like I remember back then that a bachelor's degree even meant nothing because there was already this step, there were already these steps in place that Hey, if you want to get anywhere, like not only do you need your bachelor doesn't matter any now, but now you need a master's, and then you need after a master's like a PhD, and it's like it's just this overwhelming majority of population that believes in higher education as the meaning to life, and I do not buy any of that shit at all. Um, I don't think I think college allowed me um, the wherewithal to sort of toy with ideas but as far as it being essential for life I'm not sure I agree um, after you know going down the route and there probably are plenty of you that disagree and I'd love to hear from you but I don't think it's an, an essential uh, aspect to being human I think an essential aspect to being human is recognizing that you yourself can decide um, what is truth um, and what is meaningful for yourself 
and pursuing that, you know, just like I'm pursuing the, uh, the podcast world at the moment. So finish with that quote. It is for you to know all it is for you to dare all. Yeah. Take, take, you know, those steps that are daring, um, Take those steps that you feel accomplish um, the goals that you want. Whether it be, you know, being grateful for the things in your life and saying some daily affirmations on why um, you're grateful for it. Maybe it's, uh, you know, going for that walk in the woods that you uh, went for hopefully yesterday while you listened to the, uh, the podcast. Or maybe it's, you know, recognizing that you don't have to have everything figured out. Maybe it's, you know, again, recognizing this idea that your life is purposeful and it's about you fulfilling that each and every day. And it may sound repetitive uh, that, you know, you are in control, but it's never going to be enough or... um, reiterated enough and Emerson's uh, essays Emerson's poetries his lectures all of his speech is centered around that and for someone to write you know I don't know 600 pages and hundreds and hundreds of poetry on that maybe that should you know sort of give you an idea of how important of a concept it is and it's, it's a concept that is not just present in a guy like Emerson. It's present all the way back into biblical scripture, um, even into uh, you know the Old Testament, New Testament, pl- Platonic dialogues, even the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is, I believe, the oldest known story that, is, uh, that we have on hand. So that's, that concept is going to seem, um, you know, like a theme. And uh, I'm glad that I'm able to share it with you because there's nothing more important than that first concept. And when you know that first concept, man, does life become easy. You stop worrying about what other people are thinking. You stop um, putting any idea other than your own best interest and your own selfishness, in a way, at at play. And life sort of starts to unfold for you. It really does, just like this podcast is unfolding for me. You may think I have special talent, but I don't. I don't have any special talent. Um, just someone who is recognizing that there's a need in the world for people to hear my voice. And recognizing that there's a need in the world... And in myself, rather, to want to share my voice. And yeah, that's really it. So enjoy this episode. It's been a pleasure. And again, like, subscribe, send it to a friend, comment, and enjoy your day. Have a good one. Take care.